Good morning. Welcome. We're glad to see everybody here this morning. I hope you got a bulletin as I welcome you this morning. We do have some announcements I do want to share with you. Um, so if you have a bulletin, you'll have those, but I just want to clarify. Um, if you're visiting with us, we're, we're glad you're here. If you haven't filled out one of the blue visitor cards, we appreciate you filling one of those out so that we'll have a record of your visit. Glad to pick the, place those in the offering plate or just place them on the table in the foyer, and we'll be glad to pick those up. But at least we'll have a record of your visit. On the back side of that card, again, is the prayer request. And I know many of you have filled those out, and it gives us a chance to at least be praying for you, even if it's just something for that week or something that you're facing or an appointment or a friend, uh, if you'll fill that out, then we can at least keep praying. Men's breakfast is coming up next week. We also have the men's Bible study the following week, starting up in 2 Samuel. Um, so we want you to put those on your calendar. But we also have the women's winter warm-up. And so we want to invite you to that, women. Now, I've got a few things that I can share with you about that. One is it will take place right after Sunday school. So if you normally come to worship and aren't in Sunday school and need to go home and ladies to come back, you're welcome to do that. Um, the good news is I was told you don't have to bring any food. The food is already provided. So, I mean, in, in today's economy like it is, who can turn down free food? So, ladies, we, we want you to come. But also, it's a time to learn more about the women's program. And also, Karina Mahaffey is going to be sharing. She's actually going to spend the time and share her testimony and, and what they're doing in, in, in her life. And so, you won't want to miss that. So, women, please put that down. It's the 12th. It'll be right after uh, Sunday school's over downstairs. And so, it'll be a wonderful time. So, please come and join and learn all about our women's ministry as well. And then we also have the election coming up. As you know, next week we'll be voting. It's simple. Someone asked me how that happens. We'll explain it when we get there. But it's simply going to be a, a congregational meeting long enough to, and you will have a piece of paper that has all the elders that are up for election on it. There's three of them. And you will just simply have a yes, no on that ballot that you will get to vote. And so that's all the meeting will be. There's nothing else to present. So it won't take but a few moments. Uh, but we want you to pray in the meantime. I want you to spend this week praying. Uh, Ted Schwastik, I know, is one of the candidates, and Larry Clausen, and Bruce uh, is the LL. We have, um, and so we, we want you to pray for them and continue. We had some other candidates as well. We have deacons coming on uh, that are going to come up before the session. So we have some new deacons up and coming. Um, they've already met and elected a new chairman. And so Tristan Van Amber, who's if you know Tristan, he's our new chairman of the deacons, so get a chance to uh, reach out to Tristan and support him as he begins to lead uh, the deacons as we go forward. So lots going on uh, in these coming months, and so uh, we want you to plug in all that you can. Um, but other than that, we want you to join us for worship, and uh, if you would, stand with me, and uh, I'll call us to worship, and then we'll continue from Psalm 105. Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of all his wonderful acts. Glory in his name, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. And so we want to do that this morning as we prepare our hearts for a moment in prayer. You'll see several of the prayer requests that are there listed and uh, we do have a few others that we want to mention. And so uh, if you'll look through that list, I'll let you look down for all those that have been listed as we pray for those. But we also want to remember this morning uh, Dick and Brenda Chesler as he continues to go through treatment. Um, each and every uh, couple of weeks we try to keep up with his blood count and how he's doing and able to go forward. So we want to continue to remember them. 
We also want to remember Dick and Nellie Jones, uh, especially Dick uh, as he's uh, there in uh, assisted living care, senior care, and um, Nellie as she's taking care of him and back and forth working with him. So please remember them in prayer as well. And also Mike and Nancy. Obviously, Mike is back home, and we want to continue to pray for them as he recovers and for her and strength as she helps them. And so we have a lot of people in our church, as you can see there, that are been sick, uh, preparing for surgeries, or have been through surgery, and so we want to pray for them as well. And also, let's pray for our ministries. Many times we overlook our youth program on Sunday nights and our children's program. Um, many of you may not even know that because it's a program that's been growing and growing on Sunday nights, but we appreciate all the workers who have come to help. Sometimes we have 20-plus children and youth uh, that are filling up the whole basement. So we appreciate everybody that's been helping as that ministry grows. But if you have children and they're not involved, or you have neighbor children next door to you, or you know some youth that you'd like to invite, Sunday night is the time to bring those children in. It's an open program, very active, and our youth meet, and anybody is welcome to come. And so we want to encourage you to support those programs on Sunday night as well, uh, other than just our Sunday morning school. So Let's take a moment and go to the Lord in prayer as we remember uh, these lists, and we'll mention a few of the special ones for you that you don't have there, and then for our ministries on Sunday night as well. And then if you would, join me in the Lord's Prayer together. You'll find that inside the hymn book red cover if you need that. But let's take just a moment and go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, this morning we come before you knowing that, Lord, you have all things under control that in your providential care, there's nothing that goes outside the bounds of your knowledge, of your love. Lord, we know that they're planned and purposed for a reason, and yet, Lord, many times we fail to trust. And Lord, we pray for strength in these times, and we pray that when we don't understand what you're doing or when we don't see what the outcome's gonna be, that, Lord, we not lose faith and that we continue to follow, that we continue to trust that it will work out exactly as you have planned it, and we know that the scriptures tell us that it works out best for us, that, Lord, you wouldn't do for your children what's not best. And so, Lord, help us through those hard times. Help us through the times of discerning why things have happened. Uh, and, Lord, I pray this morning especially for those who are struggling. Lord, we have a list in our church who are going through treatments, are going through surgeries, are going through healing. Uh, Lord, recovery and strength is needed in all these situations Lord, I, I pray that you would strengthen us, that you would not only strengthen the individuals going through it, but you would strengthen our church, uh, give us opportunities to help and to reach out and to minister. And Lord, we, we pray especially this morning for Deacon Brenda Chesler. We just ask, Lord, that you be with them uh, as they continue to go through treatment and work together through that. We pray for Deacon Nellie Jones, uh, Lord, that we would continue to see uh, her being strengthened and making decisions that... Uh, she trusts is right for him. Lord, we pray for Mike and Nancy as they continue to recover with him at home, that you'll strengthen them. And we thank you again for all the friends who have reached out to help her uh, in this time. And Lord, we pray for our children's ministry, all the workers who have helped, who have rotated in, who have taught the classes and prepared the games and been through the activities, that, Lord, we'll see the fruit, uh, Lord, as we meet in weeks to come with those who, who want to make decisions of faith, who want to come to the Lord's table. Lord, I pray that you'll continue to, to help these leaders as they're guiding our children into the truths. Lord, we pray for our youth. Lord, what a trying time in our society to have to trust our youth to so many 
uh, different teachers and different avenues and sports and jobs. And Lord, surrounded in a culture that so many of us uh, seem out of touch with and the direction it's headed. And yet we have faithful uh, youth leader and his wife and their workers and parents who have stepped in to, to help channel these youth and to give them the truth. And so, Lord, we pray for an outcome there as well, that, Lord, you would begin to form and fashion them as well. Lord, we lift up our deacons and Tristan as he now begins uh, the journey and path in his life, and we pray for the new deacons that will be coming on, and we pray for the elders elect, Lord, that uh, your will will be done. And, Lord, it's just a a time of, of change and transition, and so, Lord, we lift our church up. And we just ask, Lord, that you'll continue uh, to work in our hearts. Show us where we can lead and serve and lead and be a part of your kingdom. Lord, all of this we surrender to you, knowing again, Lord, that you've already planned and purposed it. And yet we just need to be obedient. And yet, Lord, we can only do that if we find ourselves boldly coming to the throne of grace, where we can lift our voices and pray together, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I want somebody to look up about the hoary hairs on our temples. Look, up, look that up today and tell me about it, please. So we get to confess our faith again, and it seems like when I have the opportunity to speak lately, I'm mentioning my previous professors, but as I read through this again this morning and thought about it, one of my professors, Dr. Robert Godfrey, that name you may know, he's one of the teaching fellows at Ligonier. He was the president of Westminster Seminary when I was there, and he was also one of our professors But he mentioned this specific question and answer, and he said, this is one of the most helpful, concise statements about justification and sanctification. And he said, it's well worth meditating on as a Christian. And we're going to read it in a second, but it really encapsulates what the reformers in the 1500s were debating about and going back to the scripture about about this difference between justification and sanctification. So it's really helpful. I use a a version of the Confession of Faith and Catechisms on my phone. It's an app. Some of you may have it in a book form. I also have it in a book form. But it has the proof texts, the scripture references where they were coming up with these statements. So I would encourage you to check them out if you need help finding the app or if you need help finding a regular book, I'd be Jerry, or I'd be happy to help you with that. But it's great to see where these Westminster divines, these pastors and theologians, went to the Bible, and they said, this is what we believe. So we're going to read it, and then you have this for the rest of your life to go back and look at. And it really is wonderful to know the difference between justification and sanctification, but how they're, they're inseparably linked. So let me read the question, and then let's respond together. Question 77, what is the difference between justification and sanctification? Although sanctification is inseparably joined to justification, the two are distinctly different. In justification, 
God imputes the righteousness of Christ to believers. In sanctification, his spirit infuses believers with grace and enables them to use it. In justification, sin is pardoned. In sanctification, it is subdued. Justification exempts all believers equally and completely from the avenging anger and condemnation of God in this life. Sanctification does not work equally in all believers, nor is it completed in any believer in this life, but only grows toward perfection. Isn't that wonderful? Meditate on that today. Think about it. We're all growing in grace. We all have the same status before Christ because of his finished work. But then sanctification is growing in grace, his spirit working in our lives more and more, becoming more and more like Jesus. And if you say to yourself, I've grown a little bit, but I want to grow more, you're in the right place. And the right place right now is to confess our sins, and we have this prayer, which is taken from Psalm 25. So let's confess this prayer out loud together. Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you are good, O Lord. For the sake of your name, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have multiplied. Free me from my anguish. Look upon my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. In Jesus' name, amen. And we can be so bold as believers to pray that because we have the holy scriptures that we just sang about and the great promises that we have in the word of God. And here's just one of them from Psalm 32. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. This is the joy of every Christian. No matter what you have done, no matter what you have left undone, we have our perfect Savior always interceding for us, always willing to forgive us if we would but come to him in humility and in faith. So be assured, brothers and sisters, that your sins are forgiven in Jesus' name. Now is the time in the service when we get to worship through giving. So I'm going to ask those who will be receiving this morning's offering to come forward and let me lead us in prayer. Father in heaven, we prayed already that you would give us our daily bread and you have given us so much more even Lord of the food ministry on every Saturday you're providing and you provide for us every moment of every day. Thank you for providing the funds for us, Lord, to give to the church and to give to its ministries. We ask for your blessing. We pray that we would do it with thankful hearts. And Lord, even those of us who don't have money, that we would know that we give our whole selves to you, our time, our prayers, our attention to what you're doing. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you again for all those who help with our music. It's nice to have those helping lead us, and uh, I hope your heart prepares to receive that which God gives us in His Word. We're wrapping up toward the end of the book of Hebrews where we have been studying, and uh, we get to a spot today within the Scriptures that turns from that of uh, exposition, if you wish, of the Old Testament within this sermon where he's constantly writing to us about the proofs of Jesus in the Old Testament and how he has come to prove who he is and how he fulfills the systems and the sacrifice and the roles of the priest. And it's been an exposition within a sermon, and now he moves toward the last chapter, which turns into an exhortation that we have titled this morning, I hope it will help you, is Now That You Know. Because now that you know who Jesus is, and now that you know what he has accomplished, and now that you know what he has done for you, and now that you know the position you're in because of him, what are you going to do? See, this becomes the practical side of Christianity. We all like to talk about the theological depths of the word. We all like to study those big words and learn the, the Greek or the Hebrew or the syntax that goes alongside. It's always encouraging to think about the depth of God's word and how deep we can get and overlook the fact that we have to apply every bit of it. That we can find ourselves wanting to go so deep into the word and study that we never practice it. That we never put it into the daily lives. And the writer of Hebrews brings us to a point where he says, well, now that I know you know the truth, let me put before you how it is that you can apply it on a daily basis in and out. So Hebrews 13 takes us on this journey. If I can, let me read it, beginning in verse 1 down through verse 8, talking about being sacrifices. Some of the headings are. Those aren't part of the text. They're just put in there uh, by some of the authors and publishers. Sacrifices pleasing to God. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you, the word of God, considered the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forevermore. To lay before us the examples of what's needed, I want to take you through 20 centuries that have passed since the time that Christ was walking on the earth since the time that we have been written these letters, and yet with all the changes that have taken place, the heart has not changed a bit. We are still sinful. We are still in the place where even the, those responding to Hebrews and those who are listening to the letter found themselves constantly prone to slip back. To use the word that many would use would be backslidden finding ourselves climbing the mountain of faith, constantly slipping and realizing that we are not doing 
what we have been asked to do. Yes, maybe you're in that place this morning like those who are listening to Hebrews when they realized that they too were ready to give up. It was too hard of a journey. Is it really worth fighting for? Is it really worth the hardships? Is it really worth the church going forward? Is it worth the striving that must take place? Sometimes in the midst of it all, you ask yourself, am I falling? Am I falling? Here's how you know. You want to spend less and less time with those that you know are in the family of Christ. You find yourself slipping because you're friends. It's easier to hang out with those outside the church. It's easier to be with those who are going to talk more in line with what you're used to talking about or share stories about things you'd rather hear about. And you find yourself doing less and less with those within the body of Christ because it's just not as fun. It just doesn't seem as important. Time has moved on, and we've got better things to do. Or maybe you find your, to yourself this morning that your faith is just less fervent. You just don't have the desire you used to have. You just don't have that fervor to want to get up and to learn. And when you read, you find yourself drifting off and you're daydreaming and you find your mind occupied on other things. And rather than finding what it is God wants, you're drifting off into the things of the world. Well, now you realize that we have these ethical directives right here things that help us pattern our lives here about how we can deal with slipping or sliding back and how we can daily practice the things that we've learned. I remember when Warren Wiersbe wrote years ago, one of those leaders in Chicago and taught for many, many years, and I've shared it before, sometimes we go to the opposite extreme. Warren Wiersbe wrote one time, he said, sometimes we're so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. And folks, that's what the writer of Hebrews in his sermon is saying, is sometimes we're so theologically in-depth. Sometimes we're so caught up in the text. We're so caught up in exposition and in the words and what it means in its historical setting that when we leave, we think, oh, I've learned something new. But yet we haven't practiced one thing different through the entire book. Oh, let me ask you, don't answer it. Don't nudge the person next to you or wink. I'm not asking you to blame anybody, but let me ask you this. How many of you have done anything different through the study of Hebrews? Or have we just gained an understanding of the book? You see, when does Christianity get to be demonstrated? When does it get to be lived out? That's what he's asking us about in our own Westminster Confession of Faith, I'll let you read it. It's chapter 26. It's all about the communion of the saints. It's all about sharing in our gifts together and serving one another and being a part of the body of Christ so that we can go forward and not want to quit. This morning, I remind you 1 John 3.16, not John 3.16. The two verses you ought to know, John 3, 16, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him not perish but have everlasting life. Do you remember 1 John 3, 16? And just as God gave his life for us, so we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. The two easiest verses to remember, John 3, 16 and 1 John 3, 16. One is all about the theological truth of what God has done. The other is about the practical application of what you're doing for others. So before I go forward and give you the outline, let me just ask you this. Are you willing to serve others? The practical side of being saved. 
Well, that's what he writes us about. I'll give you four steps. The first of all, he wants to talk about our ministry to others. And that's what he begins to outline. And then I'll take you on what it means to understand our marriage and how it should be honored. And then he begins to talk about money and how we should not idolize it. And finally, how our memory needs to be jogged once again. So follow along with me. I'll take you on a journey quickly as we begin in the first verses about what it means to have ministry to our fellow Christians. Brotherly love is the word that is used here. It's that word Philadelphia. You all know it. It's the word that we even have a city named after. It's the word in Scripture that talks about this brotherly love amongst one another. That's the word that is used here. Let brotherly love continue. There never comes a point in the Christian life, and we're supposed to stop that and move beyond those bounds. We should always be looking for ways to serve one another and to love one another. But he goes a bit farther than that. We all know the word Philadelphia, but how many of you know Philosynia? Yeah, that's the word. I, I thought about Sinia the same time I did that. It's the word for the love of strangers. It's the ones who are outside of us, not the brotherly love, but it's the word that it says, do not neglect to show hospitality to those strangers, the Philosynia. It's the word that we get that says, let's not stop just within the family. Let's reach out above and beyond. Let's show true Christian character that the rest of the world's not going to do. Who's going to reach out to those in need if we don't do it? Who's going to feed the hungry if we don't do it? Who's going to reach out and counsel those that are struggling if we don't do it? You see, it's not just a, a mental understanding of recalling the truth. It's actually practicing what we preach. As some of you have probably heard people say in the past, it's where the rubber meets the road. These are the hard things in life that when you go through training or you have an apprentice or you have somebody that's been with you in your life and you're training them up, it doesn't matter how much you give them. What you're looking for is how do they apply it? How did they put it to work? How did they make it so that it put, makes a difference in someone's life? So I ask you quickly this morning that tough question. How has your Christianity helped someone else minister to someone else? Or is it just about you? Are you truly making disciples? The great commission that we're put into Matthew was to go ye therefore and make what? Disciples. Are you the only disciple that you know of? Are you the one that's doing all the work? Are you the one that's doing all the training? Are you the one that's the teacher and you only have one other disciple? Or have you taught others to reach out and to make more? That's when Christianity becomes practiced. Oh, it's amazing about reaching out to those. It's more about attitude. One of the writers, I think Williamson, one of the writers I read said this, when it comes to hospitality, it's more about attitude than it is action. Do you really want to be hospitable or do you just have to at times in your life? Do you really want to open up your home? Do you really want to be inconvenienced? Do you really want to take care of those who may never say thank you, may never want to return, and may take advantage of you when you do? It's more about attitude. Oh, I remember in my own life looking back at how things were ministering to me and those who reached out to me when I needed it. It thinks back to those house churches because I was one of those called parachute church planters. When I first left seminary in the last year, still there, we would parachute into places. If you've never heard that before, the North American Mission Board would parachute us out. They would take us to places where no church was, people didn't want to go, and they would say, go start a church. And so I became a part of what was known as the van program. 
It was a nice change that we had in seminary, not that I brag on everything that I've done, but I remembered gathering together with students in 1992 to meet with Dr. Roy Honeycutt. He asked the students, what changes would you like in seminary? And I said, I got one change I'd love to have. Mrs. Honeycutt kind of spoiled me. I worked at her grounds around the president's house and did all of her brick walkways and redid her patios. And so she had this soft spot in her heart for me. Everybody else used to say, oh, don't get on her bad side. And I used to think I'm on the good side. And when they asked, what would you like to see changed? I said this. I said, we have Monday, Wednesday, Friday classes and Tuesday, Thursday classes. No one wanted the Tuesday, Thursday classes because we wanted to study and have a break. I said, you know what would be helpful for me and several others that I knew in the van ministry was that you would change the schedules and give us Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday classes and Monday, Friday classes. So those of us who are doing ministry could actually do ministry on classes on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and have all weekend off to go do ministry. And they did it. So the very next semester, I was on what's called the van program. I would get out of class on Thursday evening and get up early Friday morning and I would get in a van with six other students and I would go from Louisville, Kentucky, from Louisville to Cincinnati, up through the center of Ohio, all the way by to Detroit, all the way up to Highway 61 in the center of Michigan. It was about a nine and a half, 10 hour drive. They would drop me off at intersections of 75 and 61. And there would be one of my favorite cars, one of the nicest cars I would ever get. It was an old Ford Fiesta. Yeah. It was perfect. Two-door, windows half rolled up. No one had to worry about stealing it. You didn't know if it would start or not, but it would be sitting there at the intersection for me. And I would get out of the van, and I would go over to the car. They would wait to make sure it started because the keys would always be under the thing. No one was going to take it. And it would start, and I would drive in the rest of the way. And if you don't understand this, look on the map. It was called Gladwin, Michigan. There wasn't a church there. People wanted a church there, and there was a lady named Flo in her late 60s, and she had her grandson, Ben, living with her, and she called the seminary, and they said, do you have anybody at the seminary that would be willing to help us start a church? And here's what she said, I'll show hospitality if they'll come share the gospel. And so I drove up for an entire semester every Thursday morning or Friday morning or Thursday night late, and I would go up and spend the weekend in Gladwin, Michigan, meeting people, finding a place to meet, and then on Monday morning, we'd come back that 10-hour drive, and we'd get back in time for classes. But when I began to think about that hospitality, they just gave us a car. People were like, just use my car. It's there. I'll leave it at the start. I mean, in the middle of nowhere, folks if you've been in Michigan, and I would get out in the middle of the winter, and you'd get over there and brush it off, and then to give me a couch. Miss Flo left the note on the door when I got there. I'd never met her before. The team had already said I was coming, and the note was on the door when I got there that said, if we're in bed, just come in and use the couch. I walked into this trailer, set my stuff down, laid my head on the couch, and met this family in the morning, and spent the next semester with some people who truly understood hospitality. So I made an in route, got with the Seventh-day Adventists, and we could use their building because they used it when? On Saturdays, you all know the trick. It didn't take me long to have the building on Sundays, and then I could invite people, and before long, we had a core group of about 35 people that were wanting to meet in Gladwin, Michigan. Folks, it all because of hospitality. 
the attitude, are you willing to reach out? Yes, if it wasn't for them, there would have been nothing happening because where else would I go? Where else would I have stayed? It was there for free on her couch. I got to minister to her grandson. I got to reach out into the community. And in one semester, we had a chance to plant something in the middle of nowhere. Well, it was no different when I came here. I wouldn't say this church was in the middle of nowhere. But when I looked it up on the map, Davidsonville's in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> I tried to look for houses when they first called me, and my wife and I would search, and I'd say, well, just give me a five-mile radius from the church. And if I didn't have $5 million, I wasn't going to live five miles from the church. <laughs> So I began to look around a little farther, and I remember one time I called Bill Cooper. He was one that was on the team that was hiring. I said, how far is too far? And I remember Paula and some of the others on the team. I said, well, what about this place up here called Bowie? Is that too far? And some people were like, I don't know if you want to live in Bowie. Others were like, ah, Bowie's not that bad. It just depends. And we got a lot of people in Edgewater. But when I came to visit, the first time Jerry Kerr and I came up here, I stayed in a hotel. You didn't even know I came. I hate to tell you that because one time I came without the team ever knowing. And I met with Jerry Curran because I just wanted to see the area. I just wanted to see what it was like. And when I came here and stayed there, he asked me what it was like. I said, it was good. He asked about the hotel. I was fine. But when I came back the next time, we had some people that opened their homes to us. We stayed once with this crazy farm couple. Um, I'm not sure how that would go, but... Neil and Rusty opened up their house to us. And then we came back. That's right. And we came back. And then we stayed with another family that houses military, Navy people. And we stayed with the Freezes. But I can tell you this. What's the difference? When you're staying in hotels, you're learning all about the town, what they offer. But when you stay with people, you're learning all about the church and who they are. You see, hospitality allowed us to be able to say, who are these people? What are these people like? I didn't come here to minister to a town. We came here to minister to what? People. You see, Philadelphia, Philistinia, it's the characteristic that says, now that you know, are you actually ministering to one another? Hospitality, opening your hearts, your homes, so that we can make a difference in the early house church, folks. That's how it worked. It was the house churches that housed the ministers and the missionaries and those that were teaching through the thing. They had nowhere else to go. They had no food to eat. It was all dependent upon the heart of Christians. And so I ask you this morning, can we depend upon your heart when people are in need? Or is it too scary? Oh, I know it's easy to say this. Times are different, Pastor Jerry. You never know who it's going to be. You never know what they're going to do. You're not sure who's going to be coming in your house. It could be dangerous. I remind you, that the scriptures say this, not me, but some have even entertained angels unaware. Man, I can think back to Abraham, to Lot, to Gideon, the wife of Manoah, the people in scripture who when they entertained people didn't even realize who it was at first. You never know who it is that's going to come knocking on your door.
And is your heart ready? It's not just about ministry. It's about the marriage, folks. It's also, he puts this together on how it works. Because if you can't take care of the people that are in your own congregation, sometimes you have to ask how you're going to take care of the people in your own home. You see, the marriage becomes very important. It should be honored. It's the Greek word timios there that is actually translated many times precious, as in precious stones. When you think of the marriage, they were trying to write us, and the writer is saying to us now that the marriage is that which is like precious stones and has ultimate value, something that should be cherished, protected by this covenant and exclusivity, this covenant community and fidelity. You see, our marriages are different than those outside the church. We understand that the marriage and where it comes from. We understand the family and how it was created. We go back to Genesis chapter 2 and we realize that there are guidelines for marriage, what's expected. Men, for the sake of all of our children in the room, I won't use the terminology. I'll use the word intimacy. But folks, when we take the intimacy that belongs in a marriage and exchange it for that outside the marriage, it's like whoredom. It's the same thing that we learn about in the book of Hosea when God says, when you do this within the marriage, it's like what you do to me spiritually. The Christian marriage is what gives us an example to demonstrate to a world what faithfulness really is. And when it's broken, a way to move forward and to continue to find grace, healing, and understanding. Man, what a difference when you compare that to the world in which we live, when marriage isn't even tried anymore. It's not even important. It's all about now just a, a wonderful relationship until it no longer lasts or it's no longer wanted and we move on from there. It's such a challenge. Let me tell you honestly, bring up the word headship in a marriage vow. Bring up the word submission and you'll probably have people walk off the altar. Those are archaic terms. Those are terms that if I told you that marriage was supposed to be between one man and one woman, they would probably deem it as being bigoted, unfair and unkind. So where are you? Now that you know the truth, are you also being persuaded by society to not only stop ministering to our fellow Christians, but to lower the standards of marriage and what's expected? To take the values of what God's created and to say they're no longer important in our times and in our society. That people are different, they see it differently, and because people see it differently, it changes scripture. It goes on and on and on. Let marriage be held in honor, in preciousness like that of jewels, he says. And let that marriage bed be undefiled, the intimacy of life. Oh, I could tell you some crazy stories over the years about those who joke about everything in their relationship. We live in a world in which men, when you go to work, it's not uncommon. You hear it all the time. It's called locker room talk. It's boy talk. Would you want to share your intimacy with someone else? Why would you want to share those stories? Why would you want to share what's happening? Why would you want to share the time you spend? Why would you want to open up yours to an entire locker room or workplace for others to be a part of your intimacy? You see, marriage used to be sanctified. It used to be set apart. It used to be a holy matrimony. Today, it's just become a relationship that we talk about on the side to anybody and everybody that wants to listen. Now that you know, 
Now that you know what Christ has done, now that you know what God has done through Jesus Christ, are you willing to minister and show hospitality? Are you willing to keep the marriage honored amongst others? The rationale for doing that is linked right here. Listen what he says. Let it be undefiled for, that's the Greek word gar. It's used many times in the paragraph. You'll see here, keep your life free from money for, and this because of for. Some translate it because it's the consequence. Folks, if you can't do these things, then listen to the consequence. God is the Lord of all of these things. And listen to what he says. God, verse 4, will judge the immoral and adulterous. You may get away with it here. You may not think it matters. You're going to face one who thinks it's of utmost importance now that you know the truth. Oh, you can't go back and change the past. You can let Christ take it away, and you can begin to rebuild in the truths of covenant faithfulness but it's also about money. Listen to what he says. It's not just ministry and marriage. It's about money. Look what he says in verse 5. Keep your life free from the love of money. That's another one of those phileo words, but it has the negative in front of it. It's actually the word philagyros, but it has a in front of it. And anytime in Greek you put the a in front of something, it means not. It's the negative. So when you have a philagyros, what they're saying is, let's have the love of money not. So we get... Philadelphia, Philistinia, and Philogyros. All within one section of scripture that says these are the things that are practical in life. Hospitality and reaching out, ministering to one another, showing hospitality to strangers, but understanding where money actually lies in our life. Christian contentment comes from the confidence that's in the Lord. Listen to the passage. I'll give it to you quickly in verse 5. He quotes from Psalm 118, verse 6. Remember, he's using the Septuagint, so it's a little different than if you're looking at your Old Testament Hebrew because he's quoting from the Septuagint, but it's very similar when he simply says this. For he has said, verse 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so we can be confident and say this. Here's where he says in Psalm 118. The Lord is my helper, I will not fear what can man do to me. You see, when our confidence is put in the Lord, we learn three things. First of all, beothos, this word for helper, simply tells us this. One, we have a confession. He's our helper. Number two, we have confidence. I don't have to be afraid. And finally, we are more than conquerors. What can man do to me? Do you see what happens when we put our trust in the Lord and not money? Folks, money will run out. Money will not do everything. Let inflation keep rising. Let someone come in and steal it. Get cancer. Let your insurance drop you. I can tell you stories after stories as a minister of people who find themselves with nothing. One big lawsuit. It's all gone. But if your trust is in the Lord, then you can have the confession that he is your helper the confidence that he's, you don't have to be afraid. And as a conqueror, nobody can do anything else to you. Yes, we begin to learn the importance about money. Do you remember what it says in 1 Timothy 6, 6? Godliness with contentment is great gain. 
Oh, Pastor Nick shared it earlier about justification and sanctification. That's almost like saying godliness and contentment. We have those of us who say, yes, I'm godly, but we're not very what? Content. Always got to have more, always got to do more, always got to see more, always got to gain more. But you know what? We're in church and we're, we're, we're godly people. We're just not where we should be. And other people are very content with what they have, but they're not very godly. The writer simply says it takes godliness and contentment to bring a life of great gain. That's where we see Christianity practiced, where we find the people who are content to just serve the Lord and minister to others, to abide by his truths. See, because finally he tells us the last thing is we need to jog our memory Listen to what it says in verse 7 and 8. Remember your leaders. Consider the outcome of their ways who led you in the word. Folks, think about this. Do you know what the outcome of their life was? It was their exit. It was their death. That's Hebrews chapter 11. Considered their outcome. They lived their entire life faithfully serving, following Christ, waiting for the answers constantly running the race, focused on Jesus Christ, considered their outcome. They died running the race. They died being faithful. They died waiting. They never gave up. They didn't slip and fall and fail. They just kept moving forward. And all of a sudden we realize, listen to the word, memesta tempistin. I've told you before, the word pistos, the noun for faith, that's what is used here. Consider their outcome, and then he says this, imitate their faith. They weren't sinless. They weren't perfect. They had fallen. They had failed. They had slipped but they continued to minister to one another. They continued to look at the importance of marriage. They continued to realize everything that was important when it came to uh, money and how to use it. And they realized every time they jogged their memory, they too would think of Jesus Christ. The same yesterday, today, and forevermore. If you can think of anyone else that could serve more than him. And to let it come to the point where we understand what Jesus actually meant by serving. Let me read something as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. Why is it so important to practice what we preach? James says in chapter 2, many say they have faith, but have no what? Works. It's called a say-so faith. Oh, you can say that if you want. Yeah, you can say that if you want. You can always say what you want. But where's the proof that goes with it? Listen to the words of Matthew 25. Why should we philosynia? Why should we love 
the strangers and partner with the needy and help those who are suffering. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And those righteous answered him and said, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And just when did we see you as a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. Are you ministering to Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, forgive us. Forgive us when we separate what we're doing to your children from what we're doing for you. Forgive us when we count the things that we've done for others not as important as what we do for you. Forgive us when we intentionally separate our actions in this world from our mind and what we've learned about the next. Now that we know that you gave your only begotten son, and now that we know he is the Messiah, that he gave his life for us, now help us to lay down our lives for the brethren. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As we prepare for the Lord's Supper, I want to invite you this morning that if you've never made a profession of faith, we have some of our children who are looking forward to coming. I'm excited to know we have a few that are going to come before the session. They're going to want to share their testimony and come to the Lord's table. But maybe you're here this morning as well and never made a profession of faith, I ask that you let the Lord's table go by. As the bread is passed and as the drink is passed, please don't take. For it's made very clear in Scripture that what we're about to do is take from amongst the communion of the saints. What we're about to take is that in which God infuses, it says, this grace within us to instill us and give us the strength that is necessary for us to be fully obedient. He doesn't change us in the sense of physically it's a meal on grace. It's a meal about faith. And for those of us who have faith, we can feed on Jesus and find the strength to go forth. But if you've never confessed Jesus Christ, I want you to take just a moment and think about the importance about what it is you're going to face. For one of the writers made it very clear, and I loved remembering it. I, I, I'll paraphrase it. He said this, as Christians, we live in the past in the future. We live in the past knowing what Christ has done for us and how it's changed us. 
And we live in the future knowing that he's going to judge us for everything we've done. But no Christian lives in or for the present. We live for Jesus Christ. That's who we are today. We live for Jesus Christ. If that's you this morning, then I want you to partake. Regardless, I want you to partake, to share in the meal, experience the grace, and strengthen your faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as our men come to serve us this morning, Lord, I pray that you'll help us realize no matter where we are in our faith, we're not partaking because we're perfect. We're not partaking because we haven't sinned. Lord, we've all fallen short, and we need our faith to be increased. We need the grace to know that you love us, that we can go forward. Bless us as we partake in Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna ask if those who are willing to come and help us, we're gonna take the bread and we're gonna pass it along. And so if they'll come, I'm gonna read some things to you as they're passing it out. I ask that you'll take one. Please hold on to it and uh, we'll continue to pass them along while I read this. If you would, please go ahead. You can take and pass it out. Go ahead. Paul began to write in Corinthians, as he has in the Gospels and other places, the importance of the Lord's Supper, and when we gather together to partake together, what it means. I've read it to you many a times. Please listen. In the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. I believe that in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. What is this? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For what I received from the Lord, what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took a bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take a moment of silence and just simply say, Lord, forgive me. Cleanse my heart, cleanse my soul, and prepare me. Let's pray. Father, you have given us your only Son, your only begotten Son, that whosoever believes will not perish but have everlasting life. And Lord, now we ask that you'll strengthen us, that as you gave us your Son, that we would give our lives as well for the brethren. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. As he said to them, this is my body broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat. In the same way as we took the bread, would you please take one of the cups and pass it along and please hold it until we can partake together. While they're passing it out, I want to read as we have studied from Hebrews the reminder of the importance of the sacrifice. 
When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent not made with hands, that is, not of creation, Christ entered once for all into the holy place, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, securing eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Let's take a moment and ask the Lord to cleanse us from our sins. For without the shedding of blood, there would be no remission of sin. Whatever your sin, that's what I ask you to confess in a moment of silence. Whatever's deep within your heart, whatever it is that's keeping you from serving others faithfully, whatever that is, I want you to confess that in a moment of silence. Let's pray. Father, in the deepest parts, in the darkness of our hearts, where we know no one else can see, it's where you meet us. It's where you remind us and bring to memory what it means to be forgiven, that there is nothing we can hide from you. And then until we allow that to be forgiven, until we understand your grace, until we experience your love and acceptance, by allowing that to be taken, then our conscience cannot be clean. Whether it's in our home, whether it's at work, whether it's with our friends, or whether it's within, Lord, from the deepest part, cleanse us so with a clean conscience we can serve you faithfully. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. In the same way, also he took the cup after the supper and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Did everybody get one, please? For as often as you eat of the bread and drink of the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's do this in remembrance of him. Heavenly Father, again, we come to commune together with you. As you separate the sheep and the goats. Lord, as you separate the righteous and the unrighteous. As you have wheat and tares. Father, allow us to be used to help minister until then. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I give you the benediction, I got the thumbs up back there. We've had a wonderful ministry going on this past week. We're talking about ministering to others. I want to take just a moment. Uh, Shirley has been working Abbott, as you know, with our food ministry, and we have a food ministry that has grown tremendously, but we now have access to Safeway. 
almost like a free-for-all from all that Safeway throws away. So in the past week, my wife and I, and along with Shirley Abbott bringing us food, we have delivered boxes after boxes after boxes of food to people who are in need. And we have more downstairs. Every week, we have been picking up many days of the week now. And so here's the rule. If you're staying for Sunday school, because we don't want to interrupt Sunday school, after Sunday school, all the food downstairs needs to go. Now, if you're one of those families we're bringing boxes to all the time and you already have some, wait till it's there. But folks, it's there to be taken. We have boxes every week. If you know somebody in need, literally, we are taking boxes and boxes and boxes every day of food that's being thrown away from Safeway that they've given us permission to distribute. So thanks for Shirley and all that she's doing to organize that. But please don't go. If you need food, you've got to let us know. If you'll receive the benediction, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And God's children said, amen. Have a great Lord's Day.